My name is Barbara Vargas. I'm Joey's grandmother, by the way. <clears throat> I visited this church for years, just as a visitor here and there, and um, about 13 years ago, I started regularly attending and joined the church about 10 years ago. So this is a wonderful body of Christ. If um, those of you that can stand or want to stand, um, we're going to be reading Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Can you hear me okay? Let me get my eyes working right here. A final word. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil, so that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words as I boldly explain God's secret plan for the good news is for the Gentiles too. I am in chains now for preaching this message as God's ambassador. But pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Barbara, for reading that. I like how it worked out to be the same, same weekend that Joey was getting baptized. And I know it's a proud family, so that's good. That's good. Well, those verses that Barbara just read for us are really going to be the focus of a series we started just a couple weeks ago. And these verses out of Ephesians 6. And in these verses, Paul talks about a fight that's going on. He's talking about a fight that's happening. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been in a few fights as I was a kid. Um, thankfully, not a lot. But one of the things that got me into fights was I had a very short fuse as a kid, and which I hope if you know me now, that's very surprising. Um, but 
I, it just it did not take a lot to set me off. Um, in sports, you know, I get angry quick. Um, and I thankfully one day found a verse in Proverbs says, a fool lets go of his anger, but a wise man holds it back. And that was actually something that really changed it for me. But there was an example of how short my fuse was in middle school. When I was in middle school, one of the things we like to do at lunchtime, because when you hit middle school, you know, recess isn't quite the same anymore. You don't really have it, but you got lunchtime. But we still played football and played other things. But we had this game called Butts Up. Anybody know this game? Spread Eagle? That might be a different name. Okay. Anyway, we played this outdoor on the racquetball courts. You would throw the ball at the, the, the walls of the court, and you had to catch it. If you dropped it, you had to run. And if they beat you, with, they got the ball to the wall before you, then eventually you had to spread Eagle against the wall, and they would peg you. So um, doesn't sound like a necessarily fun game, but we had a great time playing. Um, but I remember this one time I brought three brand-new tennis balls to school. And I was excited, and we played at lunch, and things. we just had a great time. Lunch bell rang, which meant we had 10 minutes to get to class. And so obviously I'm starting to, to gather up the tennis balls. But then my friends decide this is a great time to play keep away. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to get it back. But remember, I, I'm, I'm a short fuse at this time. So they're, they're moving towards the classroom, but all the while, you know, they think it's funny. They pass it over my head, and I keep not being able to get it. And, of course, my temperature is rising, and I'm getting really frustrated. And so eventually I got two of the three. I'm like, okay, I'm almost there. But at this point, I'm done. I've had enough. And where the classroom was located was kind of near the edge of campus, and we had wrought iron bars all the way around. They weren't far enough that you could physically get through them, but you could reach through them. And so as they think they're funny, uh, one of my friends... Okay. His name is Kyle. He's on the other side of one of these bars. And see, part of what's happened is my view is so distorted. I'm so angry. They're not my friends anymore. These guys are my enemies. I mean, that's how I'm seeing them. And so Kyle gets the ball tossed to him, and I reach through the bar and try to get the ball, and I don't. And he's able to toss it away. But what I did get a hold of was Kyle. And I pulled him right towards me, and he's on the other side of the bar. And his face went right into those bars because I, I was so angry. Now, what I got for that was I got the tennis ball back. Uh, I did get that, but I also got suspended, because okay, I hurt him. Okay, he had a big old knot on his head, and believe me, I felt terrible. Okay, apologized to him later, went to his house. I mean, it was, it was not a good thing, not something I recommend. But in that moment, just my anger and my view was all messed up. And see, part of what happens is In this unseen daily battle we are in, there's an enemy that wants to do anything but for us to recognize him. He wants to make sure we think everyone else is the enemy. And see, the key to fighting in this unseen battle is you have to know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. So before we dig into these verses a little further, let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are good and faithful. I thank you that you go with us, go before us, and Jesus, we need you every day. Father, how we look at things, how we see the world, Lord, it directly affects how we handle this battle, because we are in an unseen battle. And Father, I believe even right now, in the hearts and minds of the people who are sitting here right now, the people who are listening online, there's a battle going on, things within them. And I pray that you would help us to understand when we know who our enemy is, it helps us to fight. 
And so I pray that you would speak, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would move and guide. Give me the words to say. Give us ears that are open. Hearts and minds that are willing to hear what you have to say to us and consider it. And speak as only you can. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue to dig back into Ephesians 6, as we were in Ephesians 1 a couple weeks ago, just a little bit of review, a little bit of background. just want to make sure you kind of remember where we are and what's going on. So Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. This is a church that he helped to start. He's writing to them. And one of the things about this city is this is a city of pagan influence. A city of pagan influence. And part of what that would mean is it would be real easy for the Ephesian church to look at, one, the Romans who controlled this city to be their enemy. It would be real easy for them to look at those who worship the goddess Diana as their enemy. But see, often we think about the people who are right in front of us. But see, I can tell you, you will absolutely struggle. You will miss the power that you need to fight this enemy if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. I say, I'm not, I'm not talking about you know who Jesus is. You know what Jesus did on the cross. You believe there is a God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a moment in time where you've said, I believe it. I put my faith and my trust in it. It's not just about something that is in my mind. It's something that has overtaken my heart, which means I surrender. See, as recently as my family was, Heather and I were flying, to me it's always the idea of when I go to the airport, I can look at the tarmac, I can see the planes, and I say, yeah, I believe that plane will take me. In my case, it was to Indiana. But see, it's a whole other thing for me to get on the plane. And see, I believe that's a difference of faith. You can say you believe something, but do you bet your life on it? Do you put your faith and trust in the one, the only one who can save? You see, we've got a sin problem. And that's what makes our enemy that much more devious and diabolical because he taps into that. And until we see who he is, until we come to know Jesus and the freedom that Jesus gives and what he's done to pay for our sin on the cross, we're always going to lose. We're always going to be operating from defeat. And so that is the first thing. You need to know Jesus. And see, he wants you to win. See, because the beautiful thing is when you come to know Jesus, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. Because Jesus has already won. He won everything on the cross. Because he paid for our sins. Makes us new. And see, that's the beautiful thing of baptism. That's what it's about. Is the visual of that. Because Jesus died and rose again. And we can say we're new when we come to know Jesus. And so I pray that that would be the first thing. If that's a question for you, you're going to get that settled today. Because we can help you understand who our enemy is, but you will not have the power to fight without Jesus. And that's what you need. But as you come to know Jesus, then you begin to realize it's an unseen battle. It's an unseen battle that our enemy is after us. And so as we take a look at who our enemy is, we've got to know our enemy. And I want to give you a couple of things. The first thing about our enemy is you have to know who he is. You have to know who he is. And see, in these verses, Paul names him. See, verse 11, it says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. The devil. See, Paul's calling him out. This is our enemy. 
Now, see, I know a lot of times we have these pictures in our minds. I think, you know, the, the horns and pitchfork and all that kind of stuff. And there's people like, yeah, when we get to hell, we're going to party. No, that is not what we're talking about. This is not something to be playing around with. See, the word devil actually means accuser. Another name for the devil is Satan. And the word Satan means adversary or enemy. This is who he is, accusing us. This is who he is, coming after us. He is our enemy. And as you look across Scripture, there's lots of titles, and I want to give you a few of these. The book of Revelation has a couple. It says Abaddon or Apollyon, and both of these mean destroyer. Also in Revelation, it says deceiver of the whole world. The ancient serpent, the great dragon, the accuser of our brethren. The book of Matthew describes Satan as the tempter and the evil one. Second Corinthians describes him as the God of this world and an angel of light. That's dangerous. Ephesians describes him as the prince of the power of the air. And John describes him as the ruler of this world. See, on the one hand, this isn't someone to be messed with, but it's someone to understand who we're fighting against. Because the fact is, you and I can't see him. But in knowing who he is, it's not just about his name. It's really, where does he come from? And Scripture helps us with that as well. There are two places in the Old Testament that scholars believe really give us a background and an idea of who is Satan, where did he come from? And these two places are Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And I want to read a little bit from Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, beginning in verse 12, it says this. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as my, excuse me, as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. See, as you read that, it says it's a song for the king of Tyre, and it might, at first glance, we think, well, this is about the king of Tyre. But as you read it, the king was in Tyre. He was not in the Garden of Eden. This king would have been born a sinner, not blameless, and then eventually found evil within him. This is a description of the evil one, of the enemy. And see, Isaiah 14 has a very similar idea. It's written to the king of Babylon. Because one of the things Paul says in Ephesians 6 is that there is a hidden and unseen ruler and authority who is moving behind the rulers and authorities we can see today. And so behind the king of Tyre, behind the king of Babylon is Satan. But see, in Isaiah 14, it describes the star of the morning. And that is exactly what Lucifer means, star of the morning. And see, so we get some idea of who Satan is. He is a created being, has power, but we've got to remember this power is limited. Is he omnipresent? Can he be in all places? No. 
Is he omnipotent? Does he have all power? No. Is he omniscient? Does he know all things? No. Only God has that power. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful in how we respond to Satan because we need to understand who he is. And this is why I believe this quote from C.S. Lewis is so important. It says, humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they do not take him seriously enough. And we've got to make sure we're not in one or the other. You see, everything that happens in life, when we start saying, oh, the devil made me do it, realize he doesn't have power to make you do things. Does he have power to influence you? Yes, he does. But he's not God. God knows what's in you. God knows what you're thinking. God knows all those things. The enemy does not. And so we've got to be careful. And see, the story of Job gives us a great example. And a little bit of description of what we read out of Ezekiel, how Satan comes and shows up before God, talks to God. But see, he can't do anything to Job that God doesn't allow him to do. Which I understand, as you know that story, if you're familiar with it, you may be asking, God, why would you allow Satan to mess with him? See, we've got to understand, remember, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He knows things we don't know. And see, one thing I can understand, there have been moments as a parent where I saw something that was coming in my kid's life and I didn't act because I knew they needed to go through it. Now, it's not the thing when your kid runs out in the street, you go, oh, well, I want them to learn that for themselves. No, that's stupid. That's bad parenting, okay? That's called negligence. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But there are times when your kids make choices and make decisions where you want to jump in and say, hey, hey, don't do that. It's going to lead you here. And sometimes they got to learn it for themselves. And I believe there are times where God is moving in our lives because part of what he wants us to learn is we need him. There are moments where we think we got it all figured out and God reminds us, no, you don't. You need me. And so I'm going to press on you and I'm going to move in your life. And guess what? I'm actually going to use Satan for my glory. So whenever we think Satan is winning, whenever we think Satan's got it, no, God is in control. God is the one who is winning. But see, part of that comes from our perspective. And so we have to know who our enemy is. He's got a name. He's got a name. His name is Satan. But see, it's not just knowing who he is. The second thing is this. You need to know. You need to know his strategy. You need to know his strategy. And see, that's why at the end of verse 11, that's Paul says, all strategies of the devil. All strategies of the devil. He's got lots of them. He's got lots of tactics. If you have the NIV, it says the schemes. He's a schemer. The King James Version says the wiles. I don't think we use that term a lot. That more has an idea of seduction. And some of you familiar with that term understand what I'm talking about. But I want to define that because I think that word is a good description. The word wiles. Wiles is defined this way. Devious or cunning plans or schemes used to manipulate or persuade someone to do what one wants. Devious or cunning plans or schemes. This absolutely is Satan. He's devious. He's cunning. And he wants you to get... He wants to get you to do what he wants. And obviously what he wants is actually going to be the opposite of what God wants. That's his goal. And so one of the things he does, one of his strategies is he challenges God's word. 
He challenges God's word. In the book of Genesis, when Satan came and he's talking to Eve, one of his questions is, did God say? Did God say? He's challenging the word of God. And in this life, when you begin to think or you hear other people say, is that, did God really say that? Our ears need to perk up. What's going on? Because that's one of Satan's tools is he's going to challenge. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? The book is old. The book was written 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply today. Have you not heard that? That's his strategy. Another thing the enemy is going to do is he's going to challenge your identity. It's going to challenge your identity. See, in Matthew chapter 4, when he's tempting Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, what do you mean if? He is the Son of God. And see, imagine in your ear when you sin, because we struggle with sin, even as we are made new, we are still being made new, we will struggle with sin. And the, the tempter comes along Oh, yeah, see, if you were really a believer, you wouldn't have done that. If you had Jesus, you wouldn't have said that because he's challenging your identity. That's part of his tactics. Another thing he does is he's going to twist Scripture. See, again, going back to Jesus' temptation, he takes him up and says, you know what, throw yourself down, Jesus, because the angels will rescue you. And in that moment, he's quoting Psalms 91, but he twists it and he doesn't complete it. See, that's a beautiful thing. Our enemy is cunning. I bet in a lot of ways, he probably knows a lot more scripture than a lot of us. And he will twist it. And all these things are part of his strategy because he wants us to doubt. He wants us to walk away. And see, realizing it's okay to ask questions. That's not what I'm talking about here. How do you learn without asking questions? How do you handle doubt without seeking truth? See, one of the dangerous things I think we have done in the church is when people raise questions, we want to shut them down. No, listen, answer the questions, but where do we go for the answers? We go back to God's Word. This, this is it. We have no other need for any of the book. This is the book. We go back to God's word for answers. And we wrestle. You see, a lot of what is happening in our world today is people are trying to rewrite this book. People are trying to make it work in what fits us and what makes us comfortable. And all along the way, Satan is right there just encouraging and prodding along. Oh, you can do that. Yes, you're going to have a better life. The Bible doesn't mean that. And where does it lead you except to destruction? Because that's who he is. These are his strategies, and it makes absolute sense. Because in the book of John, we find a good description. This is right from Jesus' mouth. In John chapter 8, beginning verse 44, he's talking to the people around him. He says, for you are children of your father, the devil. I don't know about you. I don't want to hear that. That's not something weird. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, I think the old joke we've got is, how do you know a politician's lying? Because their lips are moving. See, Satan's lips are moving, he's lying. There's no, 
And anytime a thought in your mind, something going on, does it line up with Scripture? Is this what the Word of God says? You see, when you come to know Jesus in personal relationship and you read the book of Ephesians, especially Ephesians chapter 1, it tells you who you are and you belong to Jesus. You have been adopted into his family. You have been made new. You are his. He calls you a child in his own. So any other conversation about you not being enough and you are not a part of the family is a lie. And see, we can only fight that with the truth. We can only fight that when we know the strategy, when we know how he's coming at us. But see, he's subtle. He's subtle and he's effective. And I, I want to give you a little bit of a, a scenario, a little bit of a situation. So I didn't ask them ahead, but Bobby and Matt, would you guys mind coming up here for a sec? You, all you have to do is stand here. You guys don't have to say anything. But I, I, want, I want to give you a visual and a situation of what might happen. Okay? So Bobby, if you can just stand over here, and then Matt, if you will stand over there. Okay, so imagine these two guys, let's say they work together. Okay? They work at the same place. They've been working on a project this project has been going on, and they've got a proposal they, they've got to share, let's say, with management. And they've just worked out in their skills and so on. Matt has done all the background work. He's, he's crunched the numbers. He's done all that stuff. And Bobby has done the presentation. Okay? So when everything goes, it goes really well. But on that presentation day, one of the managers says to Bobby, hey, Bobby, great job. And Bobby's response is, thank you. But Bobby never says anything about Matt. So imagine this kind of moment, okay? And so if you guys will turn and face each other, because I want you to think about this and how the enemy works, because I know you've seen those cartoons where you got the angel on one side and the devil on one side. No, it's not like that. Holy Spirit lives within us, okay? But Satan, imagine. Oh, man, can you believe that? He didn't even give you any credit. You worked so hard on that, all that stuff you did, and he didn't say anything about what you did. And then the same thing, Satan's over here. Oh, man, look at that. Manager noticed you. Whoo, you nailed it. Good job, man. You, you got it going on, okay? And, and it could even go further. Yet, who cares about Matt? See, what matters is what people can see. Who cares about all that stuff you did? You know, you, you didn't really need him. See? see, imagine all this is going on, and the enemy's just continuing to, to, to go and prod. Oh, man, you better give it to him. You know what? Forget that. What? You should, we're never working with him again. And, and all these things. Okay? Thanks, you guys. I appreciate you. Just, you you're good models. You did a great job. Okay. But see, he's subtle, and he can come at you. Now, honestly, in a situation like that, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a conversation. Okay? And depending upon the relationship, for them to say, okay? because part of what happens is we don't talk to each other. And maybe it was in the moment, Bobby was just like so excited that it went well. He was just saying, thank you. But see, part of what, wants, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get inside and start messing with us. Creating problems, creating havoc. And see, the same thing happens in the church. And that's why scripture tells us when there's an issue with your brother, your sister, what do you do? You go talk to them. Because what the enemy wants is that stuff to fester. He wants it to grow. He wants to get you in a place and an attitude. When you walk around church, all you start to see is negative. Seeing the things that aren't going right, the things that aren't working. Because what he wants to do is he wants to begin to separate us. He wants to separate us. 
It's us and them. It's this group. It's that group. It's this view. It's that view. And we're not together. And see, part of me just imagines just the glee and the joy on his face. And honestly, that ticks, ticks me off. Because he doesn't win. He doesn't win. But see, when we don't pay attention, we don't pay attention. Because in that scenario, that's what Satan wants, is he wants us to focus on the people we can see. Because if we get focused on the people we can see, we'll never pay attention to him. Because that's the whole thing that Paul was talking about. This is an unseen battle. Our enemy, we don't see him. But I can tell you, we can see his destruction. We can see all the havoc he causes in relationships, in marriages, in places of employment. We can see it in the church. We can see it everywhere in our society. Because his whole goal is to destroy. Because he knows. He knows when Jesus gets a hold of somebody... And they begin to love people like Jesus loves, and they serve people like Jesus serves, and they care for people like Jesus cares. That changes the world. And so he's going to do whatever he can. And what better place for him to start than in the church? Because Jesus said, how's the world going to know we are his disciples, how we love each other? And if he can stir that up, oh, if he gets us distracted from the two most important things is loving him and loving others, He's halfway there to win it. But he doesn't win. You see, too often we get focused on what's right in front of us. And I think there was a situation in 1894 where the same thing happened. Two baseball teams are meeting to play each other in 1894. Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Bean Eaters. How's that for a name? But see, they're... As Baltimore's headed to Boston, they're going to play each other. What's the point of a baseball game except to play baseball? You see, you get a pitcher, you get a batter, they get in a fight. They get in a fight. And the fight got so much attention that nobody noticed that a fire had started in the bleachers. Small fire could have easily been put out, but nobody noticed And see, what happened is that fire burned down the whole stadium and 107 buildings in Boston. One little fire. One little spark. And see, that's exactly what Satan loves. If he can just get a spark, a fire going, then he can burn everything down. That's his goal. Until we know who our enemy is, we know his strategy, he's going to win. See, the beautiful thing is when you know your enemy, this unseen battle, we can fight and we will win. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are good and faithful. Lord, we're in a battle. It's raging on. And I pray you would help us to realize it's it's not that person in front of us. And Lord, we realize there people come at us. Sometimes they're hurt, their anger, their baggage, whatever it may be. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that this is, a, this is your creation that you died for. That you love them. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see who the real enemy is. 
and it's not each other. But Jesus, we can't see that until, Jesus, we have first seen you. And Jesus, we thank you. You died on the cross. You came to pay for sin. You came to set things right. Everything that was broken in the garden in Genesis 6. Jesus, you have set right. And we thank you that you make us new. And I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who's never said, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I've been living life my way. I need to do it your way. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me. And not only did you die, you rose again. That they would put their faith and trust in you today, Jesus. Today would be that day and they would begin to see you. Lord, I know when they see you, you will open their eyes so they can see who the real enemy is. And Lord, I pray that if there's any situation in this room where sin has been just left without seeking forgiveness, where someone has wronged someone else, Lord, that things would be made right, that people would go to one another, that they would confess, that they would ask for forgiveness. Lord, that you would soften hearts and you would turn hearts back to you. Jesus, we need you. And so however we need to respond, help us to do that now in these next few moments. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.